This is Wrestling Nostalgia with Dave Dynasty. Greetings wrestling fans and welcome to Wrestling Nostalgia. I'm your host Dave Dynasty. Thank you for joining us in what is going to be a great, great episode. I think this is one of our better interviews that I have done here on the show. Uh, joining me today for a conversation is Mr. Ken Patera. Everybody knows that Mr. Patera is an icon of pro wrestling. Had a great, great career, a great amateur career, uh, a weightlifting star, a pro wrestling star, and everybody knows that he is very brash, blunt, and opinionated, and that's just the way I like it. Uh, we have a great conversation, lots of great stories. Uh, he, We span uh, hit and miss his entire career, but we just scratched the surface, so hopefully we can have Ken on again in the future to talk more, but I think you're going to absolutely love this episode and this interview. Uh, before we get there, I don't, I don't really have a lot to dive into, right? I don't really, there's nothing really going on in the uh, modern world of professional wrestling that is sparking my interest enough to have a conversation about and to talk about. Uh, so not much to say there. I'm just, uh, that's the way it is. That's why the name of the show is Wrestling Nostalgia and why I like to revisit the past uh, and dive into it in the history of professional wrestling because that's where my love is. That's where my passion is. And that's what I find interesting. Uh, so let's don't delay any further, shall we? Let's take a quick break, catch our breath, and when we come back, we'll have my interview with Ken Patera, so stick around. If you like horror movies, be sure to check out Dave Dynasty and Ike Isaacs on the Listen to Their Screams Horror Podcast. It is available on all podcast platforms and on social media at Listen to Screams. That is Listen, the number two in Screams. Welcome back to Wrestling Nostalgia. I'm your host, Dave Dynasty, and we're joined by an absolute wrestling legend, Mr. Ken Patera. Ken, how are you? Just fine, Dave. How are you? Well, I'm good. I'm glad to be on here talking to you. Uh, it's an honor. Uh, um, you, uh, you're, you're quite the legend. I'm, I'm, I'm a little intimidated. <laughs> well, you live in North Carolina. I lived in North Carolina off and on for, oh God, I don't know, about 10 or 12 years. Uh, when I worked for uh, Mid-Atlantic, uh, Jimmy Crockett Promotions. Yeah, yeah, you worked here for quite you a were... while. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, let's, uh, before we get into that, let's start at the beginning. Obviously, prior pro wrestling, you were known for your weightlifting accomplishments. So uh, how did, how did, uh, how'd your love for weightlifting start, Ken? Well, I was 10 years old, and I was watching TV, and uh, 1953, and I saw these big, hairy, stinky, smelly <laughs> men come out, and they started picking up these big barbells, <clears throat> and it kind of intrigued me, and I said, well, when I grow up, I want to do that. So uh, when I grew up, that's what I did. Yeah, and you did it well. <laughs> I mean, obviously on the uh, Olympic team, Pan American Games, everything else, you uh, setting records. I mean, they don't call you the world's strongest man. That's not that's not just a gimmick. That's a that's a shoot. So yeah, that's a, that's a real deal. Yeah. Uh, you know, in 1971, I won uh, four gold medals in the Pan American Games. And I, I, I believe I'm the only one to ever do that in weightlifting. 
I was in weightlifting. Mm-hmm. And uh, then uh, uh, I had just come off uh, the World Weightlifting Championships in Lima, Peru at the time. And I had injured my knee, but I still wound up second. That big, fat, nasty Alexia from Russia beat me. <laughs> but uh, I had won uh, four consecutive uh, uh, national championships. Uh, I won uh, 69, 70, 71, 72 uh, here in the States. And uh, I won all kinds of stuff. I Somebody told me that I had set 74 or 94. I think it was 74 national and international weightlifting records. And a lot of those are still uh, standing today. Wow. And this person told me that uh, 10 years ago. I said, <laughs> really? Yeah. I said, you know, I'm surprised about that because records are meant to be broke. Yeah. That, that's why people set records because yeah. somebody else <laughs> come along eventually, you know. Yeah. Could be months, it could be years, but eventually break those records. And, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. That's okay. And, well, when did, when did you discover wrestling? Was it around the same time that you started watching wrestling? The same fucking day, man. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. Word of God. That's wild. Yeah. <laughs> I, my parents bought a television set in 1953. That We were the first family in the neighborhood oh, yeah. to have a television set. And uh, I grew up in Portland, Oregon. Uh-huh. And uh, so I, uh, somebody, well, we all knew that wrestling was going to be coming on because it, it was started, that was brand new. Mm-hmm. Uh, promotion there, Don Owens, the promoter, uh, they had advertised it a little bit. But, uh, you know, back in those days, uh, the kids nowadays, they don't even know this. Well, all we had was a test screen on the television. <laughs> yeah. In other words, you turn the TV on, there's just a, a test. Uh, it's like, looked like a target. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, that's all. And uh, 90% of the time up until about 9 or 10 in the morning, and let's say... Uh, between uh, three uh, stations, ABC, NBC, and CBS, there were no, you know, other station. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and uh, so you, if you're going to watch TV, that's what you're going to get. One of the national uh, TV uh, um, outlets. So anyway... <clears throat> I wanted to watch the weightlifting. Mm-hmm. Uh, some friends of mine wanted to watch wrestling. So lo and behold, on the same same fucking day, <laughs> I, I was shocked. <laughs> First, we got the wrestling, 
like 11 o'clock in the morning or 10 o'clock in the morning, Portland uh, Championship Wrestling. And then about uh, uh, two hours later, uh, the Olympic Games from uh, Helsinki, Finland, Mm -hmm. were going to be televised. Now, this is 1953. Uh, The Olympic Games and Helsinki were held the year prior, 1952. Yeah. And uh, so everything was about a year behind (laughs) back uh, when TV first started. Uh, These snot-nosed little bastards now. (laughs) They don't even know what it's like. No, everything's instant now, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, instant, instant. (laughs) Well, if it's 10 seconds late, they're pissed off. Yeah, I remember. You know, I remember TV going off in the night. You know, playing the national anthem. And then you get the the bars. You know, and that was that was the end. That was the end of the the broadcast for the day. <laughs> yeah, you know, the, talking about that '52 Olympic game from Helsinki, Finland. I wound up befriending a couple people that had actually competed. Yeah, in in those uh, Olympic games. Yeah, uh, Harold Conley was one of them, and uh, uh, Bob, uh, God, what was Bob's name? These guys have passed on now. But, yeah. Uh, anyway, Bob was from uh, uh, outside of Boston, Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. Uh, great guy. He was a, they were both hammer throwers. Oh, yeah? And yeah, and uh, uh, Bob's wife, she she was from uh, Czechoslovakia, but she was a javelin thrower and and ran the hurdles. And I I think she, I think she wound up winning a gold medal in one of them. Hmm. But uh, yeah, she was kind of a she was a beautiful girl, but. I think there was something wrong upstairs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you 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 come from a family of athletes, right? You had two brothers that played in the NFL, didn't you? Yes, I did. My oldest brother, Jack Jack Patera, he was uh, uh, he started off the Baltimore Colts in 1955, and he played seven years. In the NFL, he played for uh, Baltimore Colts, Chicago Cards, and uh, there was a three-team. And then the Dallas Cowboys. Mm -hmm. And he was the first middle linebacker for the Dallas Cowboys when they became an expansion team in 1960. Mm -hmm. And he... A couple of years later, he injured his knee real bad. He had the type of knee injury that they could fix nowadays. Yeah. You know, in no time. Yeah. But the type of injury he had was a, at that time was a career, yeah, career-ending in, uh, injury. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. But anyway, then he went on to. Uh, after his playing days, he coached 
uh, at the Los Angeles Rams and the New York Giants, Minnesota Vikings. And then he, he was the first head coach for the Seattle Seahawks. Oh, yeah? Yeah. So he went uh, uh, through three teams as an assistant coach and then, you know, uh, paid his dues, I guess. Mm-hmm. And uh, the people that uh, started the Seahawks hired him as their first head coach. And he was there for eight years. And uh, then I had a younger brother, uh, Dennis. He was a field goal kicker uh, in the NFL. Uh, he was with the San Francisco 49ers. Mm-hmm. After two or three years, his wife made him quit because she thought football was too violent. Goddamn <laughs> <laughs> kicker, for Christ's sake. Oh. Yeah. But anyway, that, I had another brother that, uh, I don't know, he just, he had problems, <laughs> issues, he had issues. Yeah. Uh, he could have played in the NFL without any problem. And he was the best athlete in the family, but because he had issues, he wasn't able to get his shit together and yeah. make a career out of it. But anyway. Yeah. Well, and after your, after your weightlifting and everything you did, you ended up training with Vern Gagne. And how, how did you end up meeting Vern or, or connecting with Vern? And what was that training like? Well, in 1969, I was, uh, that 69 or 70, 69, I, no, it had to be 1970. Mm -hmm. No, it had to be 69. Uh, My brother, uh, he was coaching, he was defensive coach for the Vikings at the time. Back here in Minnesota, I still live in Minnesota. Yeah, and I grew up in Portland, Oregon. Um, I can't believe how many people think that I'm from Minnesota. <laughs> I said, no, Portland, Oregon. <laughs> uh, so uh, I I don't. <laughs> let's get political here for a second. I don't go downtown. Minneapolis because it's a shithole. <laughs> I don't even step foot in the state of Oregon anymore, especially Portland, because it's a shithole. <laughs> you know, the politicians were all the assholes that I grew up with, you know, and uh, they were all liberal, commie, socialist type uh, people, and they're the ones that took over the government. And uh, the people, uh, I'm not going to say they deserve what they got, but it's a sad, sad ending to a beautiful city uh, of Portland, Oregon. Mm-hmm. The city of Rose, gorgeous town. Uh, well, they've destroyed that. And uh, uh, meaning the politicians, and uh, 
downtown Minneapolis. God, I haven't. I live in Minnesota. I haven't been downtown Minneapolis in, I think, seven years. Yeah. Why go? Why go down there and get shot? <laughs> yeah. 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 The the crime is completely out of control. Yeah. One one of the one of the wealthiest cities in the country, Minneapolis. Yeah. And uh, they've let it go. Uh, this shit. That's unbelievable. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what subject? Well you, well, you trained with some guy like you trained with the Iron Sheik, Ric Flair. I mean, that was a big class that came through and trained with Vern. What uh, you hear oh, all yeah. the you hear all these stories about training, you know, the calisthenics and trading in the you know, like a barn and whatever. It was is that all true? Yeah. Uh, true story. I. Uh... I met Vern Gagne through my brother. Like I say, my brother was uh, a defensive line coach for the Minnesota Vikings mm-hmm. uh, at the time. and So he asked me what I wanted to do when I was through with the 72 Olympic Games. I said, well, I, I, I met some wrestlers at a gym here in Portland, Sam LaPrinzi's gym. And uh, they uh, kind of talked me into trying out for it anyway. And so uh, he says, well, I know a guy here in Minneapolis. His name's Vern Gagne. Mm-hmm. All-American uh, at the University of Minnesota. And, and now he runs, the, he's a promoter and champion of the AWA. And he says, you want to meet him? I (laughs) said, yeah. (laughs) And so about six months later, I just happened to be coming through Minneapolis, and my brother introduced us. And so I'm talking to Vern down at his office, and he says, well, what makes you think you can be a pro wrestler? (laughs) And so I told him my my background, mm-hmm. set up on credentials, and he says, "Well," he said, "I didn't know all this about you." He said, uh, "Yeah, you might fit right in." So anyway, uh, uh, about two, three months after that, I was in a bar. It was actually a restaurant with a bar. <laughs> And there's this young blonde-haired kid uh, uh, working the door. His name turned out to be Ric Flair. Mm-hmm. He was 21 years old. I think I was 25 or 26 at the time. And uh, so... We struck up a conversation. We wound up being, uh, we rented a house together. Because he was living with his parents. Mm-hmm. And I was living with uh, some weightlifters. And uh, so we, we decided to run a house together. 
and there's a couple of there's a couple bartenders at this restaurant, and uh, we talked to them, and they said, yeah, they they'd love to uh, rent a house with us. So there's four of us, <laughs> and we oh boy, I'll tell you that thing turned into a that that was the first original animal house. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right. I bet. Oh, it was crazy. And so anyway, uh, uh, Rick uh, had a had a habit of inviting strangers <laughs> uh, over to the house after the bar closed. <laughs> yeah, you know, he he didn't care who they were. <laughs> you know. Oh, they come over. We're gonna have fun and everything. Of course, the girls, tons of girls, and uh, the girl, girls couldn't get enough of it. I mean, shit, they were worse than the guys, uh, from what I remember. And uh, so we uh, we had quite a party. Now, that went on for two years. And well, after two years, I I was falling behind in my training for the Pan American Games and the Olympic Games, especially the Olympic Games. Yeah. And so I told Rick, I said, "Hey, you got to tone these parties down." I said, <laughs> "Because these parties when start till like midnight, and they go till six, seven, eight in the morning." And uh, just nuts, though. <laughs> you know, we, we didn't do drugs back in those days, but we sure did uh, a lot of booze. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of beer, vodka, whiskey. <laughs> and, yeah, so anyway, uh, we knew how to get fucked up, I'll tell you that. <laughs> I bet. Yeah. yeah. Hey. Yeah, and you—I mean, you worked for the AWA for a while, and then I mean, you—you you literally worked for pretty much every territory, right? You—you were continental Georgia, mid-Atlantic, world-class, Southwest, on and on and on. What 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 territories did you like working for in those day in those early days? Well, back when I started, it was, it was the end of '72, but uh, for the AWA, but. The, like two weeks after I started wrestling, they sent me to Japan mm-hmm. in January of 73. And so I got over huge in Japan, you know, simply because I had been in the Olympic Games. And the, the wrestling fans in Japan love big white guys, you know, with <laughs> big muscles. Mm-hmm. And so I got over great over there. Japanese people were great. I didn't have any any problems with them. So anyway, then when I got back, I was over there for a month, and uh, I stopped. Uh, they they flew me from Japan after three weeks, uh, landed me in uh, Honolulu, Hawaii, and I stayed there for about ten days wrestled a couple times. Then when I got back here, that's when the, the work started. Mm-hmm. 
and I was with Vern for about a year and a half. And then they sent me down to Texas, down to uh, Fritz von Erich, mm-hmm. um, Joe Blanchard, and uh, uh, Paul uh, uh, Paul Wren, uh, uh, Houston. Uh, Paul Bosch? Yeah, Paul Bosch. Uh-huh. He was the nicest guy. Yeah. Uh, in in wrestling at that time, uh, when when he passed away, wrestling lost a yeah a real a, a man yeah, yeah Paul Bosch yeah and uh, another one back in those days uh, Sam Mushnick over in St. Mm-hmm. Louis in St. Louis yep yeah I loved wrestling for those guys. Uh, Yes, and, uh, yes. Sam liked you, right? You were Missouri champ there and everything, and so. Yeah, I was the only one uh, to ever hold the Missouri championship belt, and uh, in the Intercontinental, and, and the Intercontinental belt in the WWF. Yeah, I was the only one to hold those two belts uh, at the same time. Yeah. And so they get, give me an idea. The promoters uh, loved having me mm-hmm. uh, because I, you know, I wasn't a smart ass, and uh, I didn't uh, bitch and moan about uh, payoffs. And mm-hmm. and of course, I wouldn't, I wouldn't let a promoter take advantage of me as far as the uh, payoff. Yeah. You know, you had to stand up for yourself if you felt that they uh, didn't pay you enough. But, uh, yeah, those uh, everything was different back in those days. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah but I, 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 I wrestled for every major uh, league promoter in the country. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, back in. Yeah, you were all over the place. They were sent around. And, uh, yeah, that's pretty wild. I was, I was raised on Dick the Bruiser. I'm from Indiana originally. So I'm a, I'm a Dick the Bruiser yeah. kind of guy. Well, what, what's your, I'm a, so I'm curious, just a personal standpoint. What's some of your memories of Bruiser? Cause I know you worked with him plenty in the AWA and, and different things. Yeah. Well, that old bastard, <laughs> he beat me for the, uh, Missouri State Championship. Yeah. That was uh, the biggest belt in the Midwest back mm. in those days. Yep. That was the same as the NWA Heavyweight Championship belt. I think I can't remember who held that belt at that time, either Harley Race or Ric Flair. Mm-hmm. But anyway, uh, I dropped that belt to Dick the Bruiser. Uh, when he was about a hundred years old, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Bo- Bobby the Brain Heenan was my manager at that time. Oh. Uh, and uh, yeah, and he, he allowed. He, he had some heat with Dick, didn't he? <laughs> yeah. Well, if it wasn't for Bobby, Dick the Bruiser would have never beat me. I think Dick the Bruiser beat. Paid uh, Heenan off. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he beat me. So, 
Well, I'll tell you. Yeah. Well, you moved on to the WWE, what was then the WWF. And uh, early, very early with your time there, you beat Bruno San Martino by count out. It was on January 17th, 1977 in Madison Square Garden. Tell me, what that's amazing, right? What was it like headlining Madison Square Garden against Bruno San Martino? Oh, it's fantastic. I've wrestled him three times in uh, uh, 70, was it 77 or 76? No, 77. Yeah, 77, uh-huh. Yeah, 77. And then I wrestled him three times in Boston, Philadelphia, uh, Pittsburgh. I wrestled him three times. It wound up being about 40. I wrestled Bruno about 40 times that year. Mm. Uh, that's the most money I ever made. Yeah. But when you when you count in inflation and everything. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah. So, I, I yeah, I had a hell of a run. And then when I left uh, I left there, I went to uh, uh, Mid-Atlantic, uh-huh. uh, the Crockett Promotions. Yeah. And, yeah, I went down there. Uh, as a matter of fact, I left there to go to the WWF. Uh-huh. And so we, you know, the promoters had an agreement that when my run with Bruno was up, I'd go back. So after about a year and a half, Vince wanted me to stay another year and a half. And, uh, I, you know, I, I said, uh, Vince, my family, my wife and kids, they live in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And I, I can't be gone this much and have a family in life. So he says, okay. He says, well, go back to North Carolina. When you're done down there, will you come back? I said, absolutely. So I went down there for a year. About a year and a half, then I came. I went right back to the WWF. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I always heard when, like when you went back that there was talks of you taking the belt off Bruno. What? What? Tell me about that. Well, Bruno wanted me to have the belt, and uh, then uh, Vince McMahon, uh, uh, he he wanted uh, superstar Billy Graham to have it. Yeah. And, uh, well, you know, so it it didn't make any sense the way they did it. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, Vince wanted to put the middle or the uh, continental belt, the intercontinental belt on me Mm -hmm. and put the uh, champion uh, belt on uh, Billy. And then... About a week after he tells me that, then he, he comes to me and says, Ken, you're probably wondering why I'm doing it the way I'm doing it. I says, yeah, really. <laughs> <laughs> he says, well, he says, uh, superstars down in Florida and uh, Billy Graham or uh, Eddie Graham, the promoter down there, mm-hmm. and I have been for 20 years. And uh, he said that uh, uh, Graham had called him, Eddie Graham, and asked me if I would put the championship belt on Superstar. Mm. And they 
promotional deals in the in the works and he said yeah and he said well what am i going to do with ken patera and uh so they they invented the intercontinental belt uh, and put that on pat patterson and then had me beat pat patterson for yeah uh, madison square yeah and uh so that's how that all went. It was kind of a, yes, me, it was kind of a fucked up situation, but it all worked out. You know. so, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because I was making the same kind of money. The, the amount of money I was making never changed uh, because I had the Intercontinental belt or the championship now as a matter of fact i think i made more money than uh superstar billy graham did that year uh or a year and a half i guess um and so i you know they kept their word as far as the money was concerned and uh superstar and i wrestled a couple times mm-hmm. and, uh they wanted us to wrestle to see how the crowd would react. Well, I was a stone cold uh, heel, and uh, Billy was the baby face when we wrestled. Well, they thought that Billy would be the heel. I would wind up being the baby face because of my Olympic background. But then they realized that Ken Patera was a bad man. in reality uh, they hated me and loved Billy yeah Yeah. they never they never really did anything with that Uh, they just wanted to see how the fans would react yeah and, and, and I don't want to key on this because it's been talked to death but we gotta we gotta talk about the McDonald's story just a little bit it was on April sixth, April sixth, nineteen eighty four, and you, everybody knows this story, right? What's what's supposedly, but you you've always said that this story, the story that everybody knows, is not true, right? That that every, what everybody's talking about, it's, that's not how it happened. So tell us, tell us your side and what really happened that night. Well, I went down to McDonald's to get a hamburger, and they wouldn't sell me hamburgers because it was after closing time. And uh, so I turned around to leave, and a kid came up, picked up a rock, and threw it through the window. I said, what the fuck did you do that for? (laughs) He said, those assholes fired me last week, and I didn't do anything wrong. I said, well, you did something wrong now. And so he, he, uh, I think he had a bite so he jumped on his bike and rides off. He's about 17, 18 years old. And uh, so the cops came knocking on my uh, motel room door, and I was sharing a room with uh, uh, Mr. Saido uh-huh. uh, that night. And uh, just things got out of hand, and the, the cops made us and Try, try to beat us up with Billy Club. Two of them. I thought there was only two of them. The other 16 were, were down the end of the hallway 
waiting to come down and beat us up. Well, there turned out to be 16 cops with billy clubs and guns, and they they were going to take care of these two phony wrestlers. (laughs) Well, it didn't turn out that way. So after, I don't know, after three or four minutes, uh, we had them all stacked up in the hallway. (laughs) People can imagine those hallways and motels aren't very wide. But four feet, maybe. Yeah. And, yeah. So anyway, I let them put the cuffs on. I said, you guys want to arrest us? Here, put the cuffs on us. Take us down to jail. That'll make you feel good. <laughs> so they took, we let them take us to jail. And then the next day, uh, we bailed ourselves out. And... Uh, then over a year later, after they got through destroying us in their newspaper and on their uh, nightly news, uh, over a year of negative uh, news on us, you know, uh-huh. these two big, these two big uh, nasty wrestlers came from outer space <laughs> to just beat up the cops in Waukesha, Wisconsin. And uh, it was just that we we wound up getting two years uh, for that bullshit. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, I mean, today yeah. I'd, be, I'd be nothing. I mean, <laughs> it's just wild. No, yeah. Now but, uh, they, they weren't even. Arrested. No, yeah, you'd had maybe you had a little probation or something. That'd be a fine or something. That'd be it. But <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, but like I said, I don't. Uh, yeah, I don't want to key on it, right? Because everybody. I get tired of everybody when they talk Kim Patera. All they want to talk about is the McDonald's story. I mean, there's too much more to you to worry about that damn McDonald's story. And uh, and uh, but I felt like we had to, to kick it. But uh, I want to move on. You were in the in the AWA and then later in the WWF. You were managed by Bobby Heenan, who obviously I have a soft spot for, right? Because he started here in Indianapolis, where I'm from. What what was it like working with Bobby? Oh, Bobby! Bobby was great. Yeah, he. Him and his mother lived in Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. Right. So when he was 15 years old, he used to go down to wrestling matches. He used to sneak in. Because, mm-hmm. you know, he, he didn't have any money. Yeah. I don't know what tickets were, a couple bucks a piece back in those days, but that's like $50 now. Right, yeah. Yeah, I and So anyway... Go ahead. Uh, Bobby uh, got to know Dick the Bruiser. Mm-hmm. And told him about himself and everything. So Dick the Bruiser said, well, you're going to come to work for me. And that way you don't have to sneak in anymore. And so he had Bobby uh, going down to the ring with the wrestlers and bringing their Ring jackets back. Almost everybody had a ring jacket back in those days. Yeah, right. Yeah, and so Bobby would bring the ring jackets back and pass out the towels for when they had to take a shower and everything. And one thing led to another, and uh, uh, so Dick put him uh, as a manager. 
because that you know by that time well bobby was 15 when he started watching wrestling by this time he was 17 or 18 years old he had dropped out of high school mm-hmm. and so uh dick put him in as the manager oh well, he was a natural absolutely absolutely <laughs> yep yeah, yeah. So that was the big uh, Bobby's uh, wrestling uh, gig. And, uh, of course, at that time, uh, uh, Dick the Bruiser and uh, uh, what was the tall blonde here, the guy? Yeah, Wilbur Snyder. Uh, yeah, Wilbur. Uh, Wilbur was uh, a partner with Dick the Bruiser mm-hmm. in the promotion. Well, they had a piece of uh, Chicago, too. Right, yeah, with Vern, yep. Yeah, and uh, so anyway, uh, yeah, there, there was four or five other guys, or a total of four or five guys that had a piece of the action in Chicago. Right, so, yeah. Yeah, uh, uh, Barnett was one of them. Mm-hmm. He was a homosexual, <laughs> and, uh, but uh, he knew everybody in the TV industry, and that's how he wiggled his head. Yeah, I always, and, I always said Bobby is probably the greatest pure performer in wrestling because that, the way he could talk, the way he could bump, I mean, he was he was unreal. Yeah, yeah as he got older, the. Uh, they realized that he, he could wrestle a little bit just by watching the guys. And so they put him in as a manager talking, and then they had him uh, taking all kinds of goofy bumps and everything. And uh, yeah. that's how he actually uh, started, yeah. Yeah. Well, in, in the yeah. AWA in 1983, you, you started teaming with Crusher Black, Backwell, Blackwell, excuse me, and you were managed by Sheik Adnan El Cassie, Casey, and you were tag champs, and you were known as the Sheiks. So uh, I was, I was always curious. Given your Olympic background and everything else, did, did you have any issue doing that Sheik gimmick? Well, not really. You, you mean from the fans? No, I just didn't know. I mean, I know some guys. You know, some guys kind of get to be you know, assholes about things and and say they don't want to do something. I just didn't know if if it bothered you to be a, to to do the Sheik thing with. With Al Casey, Al Casey, and uh, or if, uh, whatever you were getting paid, so you just did what you did what you had to do. Well, I'll give you a backstory about the Sheik Adnan Al Casey from Baghdad, mm-hmm. Iraq. He was in Portland, Oregon, when I was seventeen or eighteen, mm-hmm. and he was going to the he was going to Portland State University, okay. working on a master's working on his master's degree and uh he's about five years older than me and so one day in the gym sam Lafrenzi gym there in portland he comes over to me and says kenny he says you ever think of pro wrestling <laughs> i i said well no i you know i was on the track and field team i was throwing the shot foot and lifting weights, and I was doing real well. And he says, well, you ought to consider it because 
I can take take you to Japan. You're American. I can get you a thousand dollars a week. I said, thousand dollars a week. I kind of <laughs> laugh. That that that's a million dollars to me. Yeah. And so anyway, I I, I said, well, maybe uh, I'm going to transfer down to Brigham Young in a couple of years, and I, I'm going to graduate from Brigham Young University. Mm-hmm. So when I uh, graduated from Brigham Young, I came back to Portland, and I was working for a, a American Steel Company uh, in Portland. And then, uh, uh, that was in the latter 60s, and then, like I said, my brother introduced me to Vern Gagne mm-hmm. in 69, and that's how I wound up back here in uh, Minnesota. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, let's skip ahead then from the Sheiks a little bit. In, 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 in 1987, uh, you returned to the WWF, and you were babyface, and they, you know, they were hyping up your backstory and everything else. And uh, I'm, cu- I'm curious of one thing before we get into all this. Is, why, at this time, why did you stop bleaching your hair? Is it because you were a baby face? Did they did just to do something different? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's all of it. Yeah, no, no, no big story there. I just got tired of bleaching my hair. Well, I didn't know. Did, <laughs> did, did, uh, did Vince ask you to do that, or was it just your decision? No, I did it on my own. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I was just curious. I, I, man, I always thought you always look like such a badass with that bleached hair. And, and uh, <laughs> yeah, not well, not saying you weren't yeah. a badass with the non-bleached hair, but I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, it was just one of those things, you know. And um, I I always had a vision of going back as being a heel mm-hmm. and bleached my hair at that time. Yeah. You know, I, after about a year or so, then I started, I, I had so damn many injuries, I blew my elbow out. Yeah. I fucked my hip up. I fucked my back up. I blew my knee out. I, I said, shit. Yeah. <laughs> this all, all about two years. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, so I, I had like four or five surgeries in a two-year period. And uh, I I never gave anything time to heal up. So as soon as I could walk or do anything, I'd be right back in the wrestling ring. Yeah, well, it's uh, it's, it's, it's hard at that time, right? Because if you take too much time off, you're, I mean, someone else is going to step in and take that spot, right? You had to, I mean, you had to work. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That, you know, and they'd let you know. Right, yeah. You know, the pro- the promoter would let you know. And, uh, you know, at that time I was married and had a couple kids. And so, uh, after a while I just said, fuck it. I don't give a shit. I said, I'm out of here. And, uh, I finished up, uh, I think it was summer slam in, uh, the WWF. Yeah. In, uh, 88. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, when you came back, yeah, you got a, I mean, you got a big push, right? And you were, you know, feuding with the Heenan family and teaming with Hogan and doing all this, right? And you, you talked about you had some injuries and everything else, and then just like all of a sudden, they just, they just dropped you 
to this mid card thing, right? And it, I mean, taping with Billy Jack Haynes. What I mean, what was that? Why? Why did they? They were even knocking you on air, the commentators. What? So what? Why all of a sudden did they just? I mean, well, sh- that, shift and start shitting on you but, all of a sudden. Well, believe it or not, that was my idea. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I didn't want to wrestle anymore. I I had had it. Yeah. And, and I told them I would uh, stay, hang around for another four or five months. I said, yeah, who do you want me to put over? And so I said, I'll put over uh, Bad News Brown, Big Boss Man. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I mean, you're putting over everybody, Rick Rude, all those guys, right? You were putting over everybody. Yeah, I put everybody over. I just laid down. When it was time to finish, I laid down. They'd cover me one, two, three. And I even laid down for the Red Rooster. Oh, yeah. Ah, woo! But, yeah. Terry Taylor, the Red <laughs> Rooster. What a gimmick. Uh, yeah, don't get me yeah, started. <laughs> so, yeah, so it's a business decision on my part. You know, I said, you know, fuck it. I, I said, my heart's not in it anymore, and I... Uh, it's time to uh, move on. Yeah, so I mean, you did. You moved right. You moved up back. You went back to the AWA, right? Is that what? What? What inspired that move? Oh, no, I moved back to uh, Minnesota. Okay, so you were just I, convenience well, I, then. I was living. <laughs> I was living. And so one day I get a call from the wrestling office. It's uh, Ray the Crippler Stevens and uh, Wahoo McDaniel. Uh-huh. And they were they were doing the bookings for uh, Ganya, uh-huh. and they away and they asked me if I consider uh, coming out of retirement. I said no. <laughs> I said uh, I just got my gym opened up. I had opened up a big health club uh-huh. at that time in St. Paul, and I said I, I want to be make this thing successful. In order to do that, I have to be there. Right. But uh, I will do one thing. I said, uh, if you can fit me in a couple times a week, I'll do that. Wahoo starts laughing. He said a couple times a week. There's no guarantee there either. The most we a couple times a week. Yeah. The territory is dead yeah they, they have, yeah they have lost their tv and most of the market and uh the wwf uh was taking over all their big buildings yeah uh you know, paying the building manager more money and then they took their main tv and, yep. and guaranteed them more money and Vern didn't have the money to compete with them yeah. So uh, uh, Vince offered to buy him out. Right. Yeah. For a couple million dollars and give his kid Greg uh, guarantee him a gym and uh, 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 guarantee him a job. Yeah, Vern was stubborn though, wasn't he? <laughs> and uh, the WWF, but that uh, that didn't last long. Yeah. And so that, that that's what yeah, the AWA was dead. They finally yep. closed the doors in 
Yeah, well, well when, I really never yeah, well, I mean, when you were in the AWA running, I I love that time. I know people knock up, and I know I know it was a dying days. But, man, I, I, I love so much about it. And, man, when you came in and you were challenging Larry Zabisco, I, I mean, I truly thought, I thought, oh, they're going to put the belt on you. Right? I thought, I thought they're going to give you a run right here at the end with the AWA title. Never happened, of course. Uh, but uh, but no. you did get a run with the tag titles with Brad Ringens. And uh, – what, what, what do you think of Brad Ringens? Well, Brad's a good friend of mine. I just talked to him last week. Oh, yeah? Yeah, he's had some uh, problems with his his back and knees and uh, elbows. Yeah, he's had like 26 surgeries. Yeah, he's uh, yeah. he's all banged, banged up worse than me. I've only had about 12. Yeah, I mean, well, he was banged up even back then, right? I mean, because you, you, I mean, you guys had yeah. to give the tag belts up because he had to, you know, step away from surgery and stepped away for a while. So, yeah, I mean, that goes back. Yeah. But I mean, you know, that's part of the game, right? I mean, it's yeah. When we beat that company, he needed knee surgery. Yeah. So uh, then we dropped the belt. Yeah, we dropped the belt back to Bad Company, mm-hmm. and uh, and then. Uh, the next week, Brad had knee surgery, and uh, oh, they wanted me to do something. I don't know. I, I but I, I said no. I said it's over. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty done. On the wall here, I said that this is you know they brought Sergeant Slaughter in and yep, yep. They brought uh, Colonel the Beers. Yeah, they 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 brought in four or five guys. And, uh, well, Sergeant Slaughter, he's from, uh, Minneapolis. Yeah. And so he was living here anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, uh, and then, yeah. Then Larry Zabisco. Yeah. Uh, I, I got him, uh, booked in here. Yeah. And, uh, well, shortly after that, you did do some appearances in the UWF for Herb Abrams. Yeah. <laughs> And everybody, everybody's got, everybody's heard the crazy Herb Abrams story. Do you, you have any, any Herb Abrams story? What was he like? Well, he was a cokehead. Yeah, he, you know, he had, uh, the way he got into wrestling, he owned uh, three or four big uh, clothing stores back uh uh, back east uh, in New York and Massachusetts, I guess. And uh, he was real successful. Mm-hmm. A Jewish guy. And he had uh, a lot of contacts in the apparel uh, industry. And I guess he made several million dollars over the years. And so now it was time for him to take over the wrestling industry <laughs> and put Vince in yeah i'm sitting there one day we were out in los angeles and uh so i told 
I told him, I said, you really think that you're going to put Vince McMahon out of business? <laughs> oh, I think we have a very good chance at it. <laughs> I said, her is that. I said, you don't believe that for a fucking second. <laughs> I said, that this is Vince's life. Yep. And your life is uh, in the apparel business. I said, you don't know anything about this fucking business. <laughs> what are you talking about? He's all coked. As a matter of fact, he was doing a couple lines of cocaine when I told him that. <laughs> I bet, yeah. <laughs> he looks up at me. What are you talking about? What are you saying shit like that for? You don't know what you're talking about. I says, well... I, I think I do, uh, Herb. <laughs> I, uh, this is going to be my last TV. And I think I had done three TVs for him. Uh, I didn't do any house shows. Yeah. Uh, that, that I remember. And so I said, well, good luck. <laughs> I said, uh, uh, I'm on my way out. And so I think Brian Blair told me that he was, uh, like the assistant booker mm-hmm. for uh, Herb. And Herb wouldn't listen to anybody. Oh. And, you know, he thought he knew it all. Yeah. Bruno Officer and uh, Superstar Billy Graham. And yeah, yeah. Never... Said, Fuck you. Yeah, <laughs> you don't need me about it. Well, I mean, that, uh... <laughs> yeah, well, after that, you I mean, you wrestled a little here and there. In the Minnesota area, you read a few shows, but you kind of you kind of hung it up, right? What did you do anything after you retire, or was that just were you just kind of in enjoying life? No, well, I, I had my health club for uh, about nine years. Okay, and uh, I had a limousine service. I had a sports nutrition company. I had uh, sport apparel company. I had all kinds of uh, irons in the fire. Yeah. And uh, then uh, I, I closed it, I closed the gym down around '98, and I opened up uh, a training camp for wrestling. Mm-hmm. And I thought it would do pretty good. Within two months, I had over 50 members at $3,500 a month. Yeah. Or or to go through my camp. Right. 3500 bucks per head. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's over hundred. about $160,000. Uh, and then I was running shows. I'd, I'd go out and book shows. I was booking four, between 40 and 50 shows a year. Right. And I was making, you know, between two and $5,000 per show plus the training camp and uh but I, I was doing well yeah and i was even i i was still making personal appearances um not meaningful you know for anywhere from 500 to a thousand dollars uh per day yeah yeah not, not nothing big you know yeah, well, I mean, you're still out there doing appearances, right? I mean, you still you still do some conventions here and there, right? Do you still like getting out there and, and seeing the fans and meeting them and, and shooting the shit with them? Yeah, 
Yeah, I'm doing one in Chicago on Friday. Oh, yeah? Yeah? Uh, yeah, this Friday. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, 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 the guy's name is Mitch. Uh, God, I can't think of his last name now. <laughs> right, but anyway, him and his dad and brother, they run these big conventions and mm-hmm. Comic-Con and uh, they, they, they run some of the biggest ones in the country. Right, yeah. Yeah, they're huge. And uh, really nice people. Mm-hmm. Uh, never met them, but I talked to them on the phone. And I talked to uh, Rick Flair. Uh, Rick called me a couple weeks ago, and I said, uh, uh, how, how are these guys to work for? He said, Kenny, they're the best people in the world to work for. He says, uh, just get in tight with them. They'll book you all over the world. Yeah. Yeah, yeah Rick does a lot of work for them. And uh, so I said, Rick, how's that uh, marijuana company that my and is tied up with? Yeah. He said, and he says, this is unbelievable. <laughs> he said, I have sports uh, drink coming out going nationwide next week. Yeah, yeah. So that would have been that last week. Right. And he's got a clothing line. He's got off. I said, well, what kind of money are you making? He said, Ken, I'm making more money than I ever realized I could make. I'm making three, four times more money than I ever did wrestling. <laughs> I said, do it. He said, Yeah. And uh, he's living down in Tampa now. Mm-hmm. And so is uh, his wife, Wendy. She called me about a month ago and asked me how I was doing. I said, what, financially? <laughs> she says, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm doing all right. I said, uh, uh, it never hurts to have a little extra. <laughs> right, yeah. But, but, yeah, I said, I'm doing fine. I said, uh, I turned 80 last Monday. Right, yeah. Yeah, I had a birthday party. A bunch of people put a big birthday party on for me last uh, Monday, and we had a good old time. And Yeah. I had, I had, I had a couple beers. They said, is that all you're going to drink? I said, yeah, you fucking asshole. I said, how, how, how much booze should an 80-year-old fat guy drink? Did you ever think Kent Patera would reach 80? <laughs> uh, no. No. <laughs> no, not... Uh, I had, uh, just a minute, hold on. Okay.
still there? Yeah, I'm here. Okay. <laughs> and uh, reaching 80, well, yeah, my my big brother, Jack, the one that was the head football coach, mm -hmm. he, he passed away four years ago from pancreatic cancer. Yeah, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, if he hadn't got that fucking pancreatic cancer, he'd still be alive. Yeah. He's a strong bastard. I just love the guy to death. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he was... Uh, he is my best friend, and he's my big brother. And uh, he was living in uh, Clealum, Washington, when he passed away. Hmm. But he had lived out there for years and years. Yeah. When he retired from being the head coach of the Seahawks back in, God, I don't know. Remember when that was, 87? 86, 87, 88, somewhere in there. But anyway, he had built a huge house overlooking Puget Sound. He was up on a cliff. Yeah. He was up on the side of a mountain, to tell you the truth. <laughs> <laughs> and I, we were sitting out on his patio one day overlooking Puget Sound, and I said, Jesus Christ, that's a beautiful view. Yeah. And there's this... Uh, Chip out in the middle of the of the sound, and I said something silly. I don't know. I, <laughs> I I said that's kind of a small boat to be out there, isn't it? He said, Ken, that that's an ocean going freighter. It's probably a thousand feet long. <laughs> I said, really? He says, yeah. He says we're probably about ten miles away. Oh, wow. Uh, from where that ship is. Yeah. It, yeah, it just looked like a little uh, dinghy. Yeah, out yeah. There. But, but then I realized, I said, yeah. I says, I guess you're right. I said, that is an ocean-going freighter, isn't it? He <laughs> said, it sure is. He says, everything's out of perspective this, this high up and yep. uh, far away. Yeah. Yeah. But he lived out there, and I... Uh, I really enjoyed living uh, on the West Coast, mm -hmm. you know, Portland, Seattle, all through that area. But the politics got so ugly mm -hmm. that, you know, I, I have a certain amount of principles, and uh, I'm a staunch conservative, and these liberal fucking assholes... <laughs> Uh, you know, defund the cops, defund this, defund that. You know, they're all nuts. <laughs> and that's why Seattle and Portland, San Francisco, L.A., the whole West Coast just turned into a shithole. Yeah. And uh, I don't even want to go out to, to the coast anymore. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. And like I said earlier, when, so many people talk about Ken Patera, right? Everybody wants to talk about this damn McDonald's story, right? But I don't, I don't want to, you know, forget the McDonald's story. When, when you've had this, you've had an amazing career, right? This incredible long career, you've accomplished so much. What would you like for people to think about when they think about Ken Patera? Well, uh, 
besides being a great athlete, as uh, a great father, uh, very well educated. Uh, I have two degrees uh, from Brigham Young University, uh, so I'm not a dumb fuck <laughs> that tossed uh, out of his ass like so many people that do. Yep. Uh, you know, they, they, they get in these subjects they know nothing about, and uh, they don't have any life experiences, and they try to tell everybody how to live their life. Mm-hmm. Like ninety percent of politicians. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, that that's what I have against politicians. They keep their fucking mouth shut <laughs> and pay attention to what the people need. You know, mm-hmm. the, the needs of people. Yeah. But they can't do that. They have to tell the people what they need. Well, that, that's bullshit. The people know what they need. That's not what the decisions are giving them. Yeah. And uh, so anyway, uh, yeah, just, uh, you know, people starting off in life, if you're a young man or a young lady, uh, uh, education isn't everything. But you need an education. Uh, if it's in life experiences, uh, probably the best way, especially the way our uh, educational uh, institutions are going. They're all mm-hmm. full of radicals and uh, you know, communist socialists <laughs> and Marxists. <laughs> and I've I, I mean, I'm really down on the education system. Yeah. And I'm down on the political system, too. Yeah. And, you know, the fucking assholes, they tell you one thing, and then they do the, the complete opposite. Yeah. So uh, uh, be true to themselves and, and speak the truth. You don't have to make up any wild-ass uh, jokes or, or, or make commitments that are unrealistic, you know, stuff that you can't uh, ever uh, imagine finishing. But so many people get tied up. They they listen to the wrong people. Well, so-and-so said this, so I can do that. <laughs> well, don't do it. Do what you think is right, yep. not what somebody else uh, thinks is right. And... Uh, we, we need a country of leaders, not of followers. We have a country full of followers. Uh, we have had for the last 30, 40 years. That's yep. getting worse. Yeah, and I mean, you've, Ken, you've, you've certainly been a leader, right? I mean, you've, you've always, I mean, I mean, all the way back, your, your Olympic time, your, your Pan American Games, I mean, every territory you've ever went through, you've, you've been success. Uh, you know, you've... Yeah. You've you've done you know hard work, uh, determination, right? You've done it your way, right? You've never had to compromise. Uh, you never you never did any silly silly gimmicks or anything else in your career. Nope. You uh, you know you were always Ken Patera uh, through and through through your career. That's right. And um, I was Patera, the Olympian. 
That's right. <laughs> yep. I mean, I was, you know, what, what, you know, what you, what you portrayed is what you are. And, uh, you know, like well, I said, I, I, I always admired you as a performer. I always, I always thought, I always thought you should have had a run with the title in New York though. I always thought you were, you were the perfect heel at that time to, to have a run. But, uh, well, a, a lot of people think that, and the, the, it just didn't work out that way. Yeah, the, I mean, the, it, the, it the, is. You know, there's so much politics, and there's so many different uh, yeah. scenarios that uh, go on that um, if I would have pursued it and been more adamant mm-hmm. about it, I, I could have been. But I, yeah. I I, I I I always thought to myself, well, if I have to push that hard to get what I what I want out of wrestling, yeah, I said that's not the way. Yeah, I don't need it. Well, I mean, even despite that, I mean, you had a phenomenal career, right? I mean, you you had just yeah. you accomplished so much. Uh, maybe very few can hold a candle to what you've accomplished. So. Uh, even despite that, right? Even if you didn't play the politics or you didn't kiss any ass or whatever else, I mean, just on your 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 talent and your your work ethic, I mean, look what you still accomplished. So, I mean, that's yeah. that's a testament right. to you. Yeah, when I retired, I retired. Uh, I was satisfied, and uh, I didn't feel there was anything else I need to to accomplish. The day I walked out of there. Yep. You know, the WWF, I, I felt that uh, I achieved everything that I really needed to achieve. Mm-hmm. And so now I'm going into the next chapter of my life, uh, which I did. Yep. And I was very successful. Yep. Yep. And hell, I'm 80 years old now. That's right. Here you are, 80 years old, get a look back and, you know, and laugh and reminisce and and, and all yeah. kinds of good stuff, right? I mean, I mean, it could be a lot worse, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah. You know, all, all, all my friends, well, the majority of them are dead now. Mm-hmm. But uh, ones that are still alive or still kicking shit, they're, you know, I talk to them. Uh, not as often as I would like, but uh, it is what it is. Yeah. You know, yeah. so. And I, I tell people, I said, especially young people, I said, do something that you really like. Yeah. Don't do begrudgingly and because somebody else wants you to do or you got, don't let people force you into doing shit yeah. because you won't, won't be happy. You know, do stuff that will make you happy. I Absolutely. mean, there's more to like fucking job. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Yeah. Life lessons from yeah. Ken Patera. That's that's a <laughs> that's a that's a yeah. good place to wrap it up right there, right? Yeah, just <laughs> well, okay. well, Ken, I I appreciate you coming on and talking to me. I know we talked for a while, but man, I I feel like we could have talked all night. You, you're you're such a such a great guy, right? You got so many stories. I feel like we only scraped the surface, but uh, oh, we did. Yeah, but, uh, but you know, there's always so much you can cover, right? You I mean you can't you can't talk forever. And uh, <laughs> how many minutes we did we go? Man, we we've gone well. We've gone almost an hour and twenty. So, and, and you it, said it only 
me a half an hour. <laughs> well, you know, that's how I, that's I, how I, a half hour. That's how I lure you in, Ken. Right? I, <laughs> I get to I get to talking, and I knew it'd go for a while, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. You know that I do long interviews. I don't just like to sit around and and uh, do a half hour. Fuck! What can you do in a half hour? Yeah, Nothing. really. No. <laughs> I mean, we, like I said, we've talked almost an hour and twenty, and man, we have it. We've just scraped the surface of your career. There's so much more to, yeah. that could, you could have dove into, but uh, man, we can't go forever. But uh, but I do appreciate the time you've given me, and you know, and I know, you know, you're, you know, I again, I'm truly grateful uh, to get to talk to you. Um, you know, like I said, you've you're, you're you're certainly an icon in professional wrestling. And I appreciate your time. Okay, thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, Wrestling Fans International Association is back. That's right, the premier fan club association of the 1970s and 1980s has been revived and is back in business. Join today. It's free at the WFIA.org. That's T-H-E-W-F-I-A.org. You can also join us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash groups slash WFIA 1969. All right, and welcome back to Wrestling Nostalgia. I am Dave Dynasty. Thank you to Ken Patera for coming on and conversing with me and telling some stories and revisiting his career in professional wrestling. Like I said earlier, hopefully we can have Ken on again in the future because there's so much more to talk about, so much more to dive deeper into, and I look forward to doing that in the future. Uh, Make sure you subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. We are on all of them. And make sure on any of them you can, you give us a rating and review because it helps us in those algorithms when people are listening to other similar podcasts. We come up as a suggested listen. Make sure you follow us on social media. We are on X, Facebook, Instagram, and Threads. You can look up Rassel Nostalgia, and you can follow me personally on Twitter at the Dave Dynasty. Uh, the best way you can support the show is to go buy a shirt. Go to ProWrestlingTees.com slash the Dave Dynasty. We have a slew of shirts there, so go buy one. Uh, Christmas season is uh, fast approaching, so go and order your favorite wrestling fan a shirt or two there. Uh, Remember what I always say, guys. Support what you like and ignore what you don't. Uh, There's no sense in getting online and getting in uh, shouting matches or arguments or whatever about this and that. Just get on there uh, if that's what you choose to do and support the things that you like. And if you, if it's something you don't, then just ah, just let it pass, right? That's someone else's the thing, and don't worry about it. Uh, we will have another great episode coming up in two weeks. Uh, on that episode, I have a, a really good interview that I did with Mark Canterbury, the former Henry Godwin from the WWE. Uh, it's a great interview, so that episode will be coming in two weeks. Uh, but until then, thank you for joining us. And wherever you go and whatever you do, be good, be safe, And keep on growing.